0: Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Proverbs chapter three? And we're in week six of our series, asking the question, how do I dot, dot, dot? And we've spoken about relationships and we've spoken about money and we've spoken about all kinds of things. But this week, what we're gonna do is ask the question, how do I trust God? So hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter three, one through six, I'll read this and then we'll pray. Solomon says, my son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Verse two, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and people. Verse 5, iconic passage, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Can we say amen today? Let's pray. Lord, settle the heart of the preacher. (laughs) I need your peace. Lord, I depend on you, not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of the living Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts and transform us today. If we have come here to be entertained, we're wasting our time. If we've come here, Lord, to be tricky and to be gimmicky and to just have cheap entertainment, we're wasting our time. Lord, we need the God of heaven and earth to speak. We need you to make us a holy people. We need you to put us back together again. So may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray these things today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Today, the Lord is reminding us of what he's called us to, which is maybe the scariest thing we could ever do which is live by faith. I don't like to live by faith. I like to live by dependence on myself. (laughs) Can we just be honest in church today? I'm, come on now, oh, let's live by faith. Oh, that's so great. That's so fun. No, it's not, it's not. I, like to live. I, don't need, I don't want to be needy, I don't want to be dependent on anyone. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I want to pray, give me this year my daily bread and get out of the way and I'll manage it just fine. I'll see you in December. But, but, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Solomon says. Now, I want to suggest to you that we all live by faith every day and we may not even recognize it. You go up to the water fountain out in the lobby push the handles, g- 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 the water comes out, you start drinking it. You don't know where that came from. Here you are living by faith. Oh, just trusting that the world is good. Just trusting that there's no waterborne illness. Just trusting that this is clean. This is good. Like we live by faith. You sat down in that chair after worship and after greeting each other. And none of you went, oh, I hope this goes well. You just sat down. Like you just trusted there's The world is good. God's going to catch me. This is what we get on these metal tubes, these long cylinders of metal, and we fly up to 35,000 feet, and we go 500 miles an hour. Do you understand how crazy that is, that we do this? Like, I heard a comedian once say, like, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Like, everyone on every flight should be constantly going, oh my God, ah!" for two hours until you land, and then you should take a deep breath. But we don't do that, we, we live by faith every single day. Think about a child, newborn baby, made no decision to come into the earth, and yet comes out of the an- amniotic chaos and out into this bright world, and there they are being held by someone they've never met before. And, and essentially what they're saying is, please love me, please feed me, please take care of me. I have no agency. I have no control. I have no power. I I hope that the world is going to be good to me." And they say that a child's eyesight at birth is really bad and they can only see from the distance from mother's breast to mother's eyes, looking up in faith that this person is going to love me and take care of me. Think about the elderly coming to the end of a long life, having tried their best to to put one foot in front of the other and live decently and live faithfully and honor the Lord. And here they come to this vulnerable time. You start vulnerable and you end vulnerable. And in between there is the illusion of strength. There is the illusion of control, but you come to that end and you just pray to God that someone's gonna take care of me and love me and be for my good. We all live by faith every single day of our lives. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, says Solomon. But I wanna suggest that the enemy, knowing that we are faithing creatures, I'll just say it this way, human beings are faithing creatures. I'll make up a verb. We all live this way. The enemy, knowing that we are faithing creatures, comes to us to give us three cheap substitutes for the life of faith. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, but the enemy comes and says, I've got a shortcut for you. I've got other options. Let me dangle this carrot and see if you'll bite. I want to put in front of you today three cheap substitutes that the enemy puts in front of all of us as a replacement for the life of faith. Substitute number one, he gives us certainty. The illusion of certainty. We want to have God locked down in our hip pocket. We want God to be safe. We want God to be predictable. We want God to have the same kinds of values and, and visions. That Basically, we want God to be our gopher. Go do what I want. Go make the world comfortable for me. And, and so we want certainty. And, and Saint Augustine once said that if you think you have it figured out, if you think you have it figured out, it's not God. <laughs> Like, the, the, the way you can be sure that it's an idol is, is you want to freeze it in time and make it predictable. The, the, the difference between an idol and God is that God can surprise you, says Robert Jensen. Certainty, we want certainty. We want God to be formulaic. We want God to be two plus two equals four, and there he stands in the mystery of Trinity. <laughs> God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We we want this divine trigonometry. The, The mysteries of God are evened out and the angles are clearly measured. And God is a puzzle to be solved. And God is a series of complex formulae that if you can just get it, you're fine. And because now I think I have all the answers, there's no more mystery and therefore no more reason to live by faith. We want certainty so that we don't have to live by faith chief among them. We can be honest in the house of the Lord today that living by faith is not always fun and very often it can be agonizing, but I'll suggest to you, and hopefully by the end of the sermon, you will discover that there is no other good life than the life of faith. The second cheap substitute that the enemy gives us to replace the life of faith is comfort, comfort. If I can just secure my life Get the right amount in my 401k have a predictable job if i can have decent health care if i can just circle up the wagons and and make sure that my life is airtight then i'll be able to take a deep breath then i'll be able to lay my head on the pillow at night and then i'll be able to just just oh, it'll be fine we we want comfort solomon knows this about us and solomon himself was a wealthy man and he he had everything that he wanted at his uh, access. He could do whatever he wanted. But he, he learned later in life that money wasn't ever going to be enough. He says in Proverbs 18, 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. And he's tongue in cheek here. He's messing with us. The wealth of the rich, it's their fortified city. And he says, they imagine it an unscalable wall. If I can just get enough money, then I'll be fine. There will be no threat. There will be no difficulty. And then you watch billionaires who have all the best access to healthcare in the world and Steve Jobs, and you go, what in the world? And we, we realize that enough money won't do it for us. Enough money, comfort won't actually do the heavy lifting. There is more to life than comfort. Jim Carrey, uh, some, of you, you know, some of you are judging me already just saying that name, Jim Carrey. I thought this was the house of the Lord. Oh my Lord, I tell Brady that Daniel's talking about Jim Carrey in church. Jim Carrey, I grew up as a young boy and, and he was hilarious to me, he's, he's still, he's crazy, but he was hilarious to me. And when I was 12, I was in sixth grade, and I saw a commercial on TV for this new movie coming out from this up-and-coming guy, Jim Carrey, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Now, children, don't you ever see this? It's horrendous, it's demonic. Don't, don't watch it. This is not an endorsement. This is a confession of sin, OK? <laughs> so Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and my parents saw me see the, the commercial, and I was like, I'm seeing that. First of, the, first of all, they go, you're 12 and it's PG-13. No, you're not. Second of all, no, you're not. And so I was bummed out. And my friend Nathan Barnes called me and said, Let's go see a movie. And so I told my parents this when I was 20. It took me till I was 20. But when I was 12, I went to the theater. And instead of seeing, I don't know, The Hiding Place or something Christian, (laughs) we snuck in and we watched Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And, uh, and, It was the sin of my sixth grade year. It was the the worst thing I did in my sixth grade year. It was stupid kids. Don't ever lie to your parents. It's it's ungodly and it's wrong. And I did it and I confess. Jim Carrey just had, as a young boy, I thought this guy is hilarious and, He started making a lot of money in that time. And he started making 20 million a movie and he was flying around on a jet and he had homes all over the globe and women coming his way. And there was, I mean, he was a a young King Solomon. There was not anything that he couldn't do or have access to. And Jim Carrey, after years of of sort of imbibing himself on comfort and on pleasure, Jim Carrey, the bottom fell out for him. He, He about lost his mind and he went into hiding after much soul-searching, he, he, came, he came back out into public view, and he said this one day when he was interviewed about falling apart. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. He's like, I, I've tried it all. I promise you, there is nothing that can do the heavy lifting. <laughs> I've tried it all, and I've tried to secure my life, and there's been no comfort that I've been... Uh, uh, that's been unavailable to me, but it just doesn't do it. There, You can have deep pockets and a bankrupt soul. And Jim Carrey said, comfort will not do it. That's a cheap substitute that the enemy comes and dangles in front of us, the comfort of certainty and, and the ch- substitute of cheap comfort. And the third thing that the enemy puts in front of us is cynicism. One end of the spectrum, we've got certainty. God has figured out. We, made, we, we pinned him to the ground and he tapped out uncle and now he's in our hip pocket. We've got God figured out. We've got yeah. deep pockets, but bankrupt souls. We, we think we can build a meaningful life on comfort. But the other end of the spectrum from, from certainty is cynicism. This deep despair, this nihilism, this burn down the world because it's beyond repair kind of heartbreak and Pain comes our way and we end up sitting in the front rows at funerals that we never expected to attend. And we go into hospital waiting rooms that we never expected to be in. And the, the marriage that we thought was forever was, is, is sealed with the stroke of a cheap pen from Walmart. You, know, you go into the courthouse and, and the divorce is finalized and you thought that was forever. And now here it's gone and despair, cynicism. It, it just, we just, there can't be any goodness out there on the horizon because of the pain. And I once heard a great thinker say, inside every cynical person is a disappointed idealist. Someone who was idealistic and hopeful about how the world was gonna work, and it doesn't work that way. And then very often, if we're not careful, we tip over into a heavy cynicism. These are the three cheap substitutes for the life of faith, certainty, comfort, cynicism but the scripture time and time again keeps saying the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith the one that god finds and calls into following him that person the one who is justified by the work of god they will live by faith it's really the only way forward so why do we live by faith i want to ask the question if we know that there are three cheap substitutes Why do we have to live by faith? Why are we called to live by faith? The first thing that I'll say, and this is as simple as I can make it, we live by faith because we have to. (laughs) I've never seen God. I wasn't there at the bottom of the old rugged cross on Calvary on that dark Good Friday. I didn't see Jesus's blood and water flowing from his side like John and Mary and the other Mary did. I didn't hear his cry of agony from the cross, Father, forgive him. I've read about it. The saints told me about it, the the apostles and the disciples and those who saw him, who passed on the word to us in this scripture. My parents gave me this book when I was young and raised me in church. And somehow by the spirit of the living Lord Jesus, you could never convince me that this isn't the truest story in all of the world. But it's not because I have empirical evidence. I wasn't there but somehow there's a deep knowing in my being that this is the truest story that's ever been told, and Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. But we live by faith because we have to. John says, no one has ever seen God at any time. We live by faith because we have to. This is the life, let's just be honest, there's a reason why they call it the life of faith and not the life of certainty because there's mystery and there's questions and there's unknowing and there's walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you can't always put it together in a two plus two equals four. In fact, most of the time you can't, there is mystery and we live by faith because we have to. Second reason we live by faith is that we live by faith because it's good for us. As much as I hate, having to trust and having to wait and having to depend. It's actually the very thing that I need to be made more into the image of Jesus Christ. We live by faith because it's good for us. And you look at the scriptures from from Abraham and Sarah from the very beginning on, these people, God finds people who started off weak and become strong. That's what the Bible is full of. Stories of people who started off weak Who became strong. When he found Abram and Sarai, they were were locked in in comfort. They were at home in Ur of the Chaldees and they had deep pockets and dad was a landowner and huge crops and huge pastures and it was all locked in. And what does God do? He calls them to go to a place that I will show you. And in this interaction, God calls them to eschew and to run away from the three cheap shortcuts and to go out and break out into the unknown to live by faith. And what happens in that story is Abram and Sarai, their barrenness is really, it was real, but it was also a metaphor for their life pre-faith. <laughs> and when they obeyed God and followed Him out into the unknown, they started bearing fruit. Their lives started to abound. We live by faith because it's good for us. I remember reading A Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela's biography and telling the story of growing up in segregated South Africa and Uh, all of the heartbreak there, and the injustice there, and the evil, and just here he was crying out for it, and he was fighting, and he was fighting, and he was fighting, and then he finally gets locked away in Robben Island prison for 27 years. And he tells the story about being there and he went in and he was angry and he was vengeful and he wanted to get them and and, and who wouldn't? That's totally human to feel that way. But he says, by the end of 27 years, God had softened my heart and he'd made me to love and he had taught me to bless those who curse me and to pray for those who despitefully use me. He taught me to turn the other cheek. He taught me to go the extra mile. He taught me to give to those who are hungry and feed those who have cursed me. And in doing so, the kingdom of God comes the life of faith is good for us think about dietrich bonhoeffer locked away under the nazi regime and and it cost him everything 39 years old but he would write his letters from prison and his papers and his deep theology and he would say somehow i'm being made more into the image of the crucified son of god the life of faith is good for us and i'll just say that the life of faith is the crucible that burns out the impurities and finally reveals the image of God in us. We live by faith because we have to, we live by faith because it's good for us and it's the way that we will be made more into the image of the Son of God. But the third thing, really the most important thing is, we live by faith because God raised Jesus from the dead. An angel showed up to a young single woman and she was, walking the dusty roads of Palestine, minding her own business, and an angel appeared to her and said, "'You will be great with child. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will have a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, for he will save God's people from his sins.'" And the gossip broke out in the community. They go, hey, she's starting to show, and we know that they aren't married yet, and we knew Joseph come from good stock, and we really trust his family, but we always kind of thought that Mary girl was sketch. Yeah, and now this proves it, you know. There's shame, there's gossip, there's, there's a buzz going around the community, but here she is and she's just, be it unto me according to your word. And she's living by faith. Talk about the icon of faith. Be it unto me according to your word. And this child comes and they bring him to the church on the eighth day and he's circumcised and dedicated and whisked away into hiding. 12 years old, he shows back up in the temple, he's there, and he gets lost to church, and he's sitting with the elders, asking them questions, and they marveled at the wisdom that he had, and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Luke 2.52, whisked away into 18 years of anonymity. But at 30 years old, this, this kind of interesting Quizzical character, this one that had so much gossip had gone around about his family. He he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and he's fasting and praying for 40 days and for 40 nights and he's on the brink, but he overcomes and he stays faithful and he bursts out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. And everywhere he went, the the blind started seeing, and the lame started walking, and the deaf started hearing, and the dead came to life, and and the poor had the gospel preached. And Jesus is, is going all along the roads, but all along the way he's saying, they will arrest me, and they will crucify me and kill me, but on the third day I will rise again. And his disciples go, stop that. They, they, they went back and forth between incredulity in and, and like, hey, just shut up, Jesus. You're, you can't do that. That's not good for business. It's not good for the brand. Stop talking about death. You're, you're a nihilist, Jesus. And Jesus goes, they will arrest me, and they will crucify me, and they'll put me in the ground. But on the third day, my Father will know what to do about it. And sure enough... On Good Friday night, Judas sold him off for 30 pieces of silver, and they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they led him into a mock trial, and they sold him off, and they whipped him 39 times, and he carried that cross up Golgotha, and they strung him out where he would bleed to death and suffer and die and say, Father, forgive them, and they put him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and it was over over, over. Like people going back home to Galilee to be fishermen again and to collect taxes again and to do this. And they'd they'd put all their chips on the table with Jesus, but it didn't work. And so here they are trying to figure out the new plan going forward, resorting to plan B. But on the third day, on Sunday morning, by the power of the spirit, the stone was rolled away and out walked Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the grave. And he he was shown to be the son of God and he ascended on high. Is it okay if I get excited about Jesus? He ascended on high where he's seated at the right hand of the father and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And we live by faith because Jesus was raised by the father. It had never happened before and it has never happened since. And Jesus has secured for us that coming kingdom where there will be no more death and no more sorrow, and no more mourning and no more suffering for the old order of things will have passed away. And we come to Jesus because he is the one who has defeated death. Can you say amen? Frederick Beekner, one of the great writers of our age, he's in his 90s now, and he said something as beautiful and as simple as it can get, resurrection means that the worst thing, death, human death, being put into the grave, the worst thing for us is not the last thing. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you, can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. Resurrection means that the worst thing that we will ever go through is not the last thing. And Solomon, a thousand years before Jesus came in his earthly ministry, Solomon with the eyes of faith, he could understand that God would raise up his Messiah one day. And Solomon knew about darkness. And Solomon knew about death. And Solomon knew about the worst thing. But he knew that God would raise up his Messiah. And he said, trust in the Lord Yahweh. Trust in the Lord Yahweh. God is going to send one who will reverse the curse. God is going to send one who will know what to do about death. God is going to send one so that there are no more starving children in impoverished areas of the world. God is going to send one so that there are no more homeless teenagers running around Denver asking God to provide. God is going to reverse the curse so that the very worst thing is not the last thing. He said, trust in that one, the Lord Yahweh. And he said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There is no plan B. There is no mailing it in with the life of faith. There is no hedging your bets. There is no side chick, you know, in the kingdom of darkness. Like there is no other option. There's just one. It's trust in the Lord Yahweh and do it with all of your heart. Go for it. Put all of your chips on the table. Even if it costs you your life, know that you are hitched to the one who has defeated death. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There is no other way but all the way in, friends, with all of your heart. And he says, if you live this way, he will direct your paths. God will get you there. Solomon said, if you live by faith and if you will endure, and if you will refuse the cheap substitutes of certainty and comfort and cynicism, and if you will stay with him and let him escort you through the various valleys of the shadow of death that you will walk through, and I say plural, valleys, you will walk through various valleys of the shadow of death on your pilgrimage across planet earth. If you will stay with Jesus, Jesus will get you Home. He will direct your path. He will lead you through. You will not be bereft. You will not be on the hook for your own security. You will not be, he will give you this day, your daily bread. He will direct your paths. Four years ago, all of our family went out to Idaho, 50 of us. Grandpa Dan was coming to his end. He had been married to my grandma Weezy for 66 years and grandpa Dan was on his deathbed. 86 years old, lived a life of faith, lived a life of decency and integrity. Everyone in his little town of 500 knew Mr. Wilson, as literally his name, Mr. Mr. Wilson. (laughs) He drove the bus 44 years, he drove three generations of people. So he'd go pick up kids, and he'd wave at their grandparents who were on the porch that he drove to school (laughs) 44 years before just a decent, honorable man, and he's coming to his rest. And all of us went out there and we camped and we you know, had campers and tents out on his property and we spent time with Grandpa Dan. And as I walked in, Grandpa Dan and Grandma Wheezy called me back into their bedroom. He was laying on his bed. He was, he was not walking around at this time. He said, Daniel, I'm, I'm ready to see Jesus, but there's just one thing. I haven't been baptized. Would you baptize me? And I said, Grandpa, I would be honored to baptize you. They put him out in the bed in the living room and all 50 of us. I think at that point, he had 23 great grandchildren. All of us were in the room, no one missing. And he, the spirit of the Lord came on him. I saw it with my own eyes. He was weak. He was, he was, his eyes were closed, but the spirit of the Lord came on him and he got a second wind and he sat up in his bed and he called us one by one, starting with his oldest child, Christy, Danny, his son, Becky, my mom. Nate. Then he went to his grandchildren and their spouses and then he went to his great-grandchildren called every single one of us by name And he laid hands on us and he blessed us and he kissed us on the cheek and then after the 50th person he laid his head back down We baptized him I put water on his head and wiped it with a blue towel and water on his feet and wiped it with a red towel I've got those towels up in my office and he laid his head down after being baptized just a couple days from entering his rest. And he said, there is no more fear. The spirit of the Lord was thick in that house. And then we all had in the next two days, we all had to leave, go back to our lives. And he was coming to his end and we knew we would be getting back on planes to come to his funeral. My cousin, my youngest cousin, Lene stayed around and she was in this living room and grandpa was laying on the bed in front of the big windows, overlooking the river. And he, it's just him and Jesus now. You know, when you come to this moment, the saints call it a thin place between heaven and earth, and really there's just an enmeshment there, it's it's heaven and earth. And Jesus is calling him home and the angels are ascending and descending, it's holy ground. And if you've never had that experience, I pray that you get to experience a saint someday, old and gray, ready to meet Jesus because there's nothing holier than that moment. My cousin, Lene is there and it's just her and Grandpa Dan and he doesn't know she's there. And he's interacting with Jesus. And I want you to see this 30 second video of Grandpa Dan getting, to re- getting ready to enter his rest.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you Jesus Thanks your life
0: When you come to that moment, you will not care about how much money you have. When you come to that moment, you will not care about your worst failures. When you come to that moment, you will not care what other people think about you. When you come to that moment, you will not remember the great accolades and any of the good press that you got. All you're going to have is the interaction back and forth, face to face with the one who was and is and is to come. You will only have, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for the worst thing is not the last thing. Thank you, Jesus, because you conquered the grave. Thank you, Jesus, that you bled out for us because you loved us, and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group. Thank you, Jesus, holy, 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 holy will and Solomon knew that and so he says to us today trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him and friends he will direct your path if you stay with Jesus you will make it home can you say amen stand with me today We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to call on his name. We're going to sing this song, Abide. Draw me close and teach me to abide. And here in just a minute, we'll receive communion. Let's worship the Lord Jesus together.
1: to rely on you again, to trust you afresh. Lead us, Lord. Where the Spirit leads, as I'm following, I depend on you, I depend on you, Trust I deep on i
0: elements ready to receive I can't think of a better song this morning to sing I depend on you I depend on you get up every morning and say I depend on you I trust in you Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the bread and he broke it would you just break that little wafer there he broke it symbolizing the brokenness that was coming to his body just hours later symbolizing the brokenness that all of us live through at various stages of our lives he goes i get it (laughs) i'm gonna pay the price this is my body which is broken for you so that when you walk through your brokenness you know that you're not alone So that when you walk through those seasons of Gethsemane where you're having to depend, you'll know that Jesus has been there. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember what the life of faith is like. Remember me, you may receive the bread. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. Again, a statement that the life of faith, there are no shortcuts. It costs everything. <laughs> it just does. But Jesus said, I'm going first. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins every time we take a cheap shortcut every time we try to build our own little idols jesus goes i've got it covered i'll wash it away i'll bury it in the sea of forgetfulness and i'll give you joy so today jesus we receive from you forgiveness of sins we receive from you newness we receive from you the new covenant cut in your blood and we thank you that you've cleansed us of our sins you may receive the cup today Let's sing.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Come on, church. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns.
1: Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty.
0: you open your hands today as I pray benediction, blessing over you as you go. Father, I pray that you would teach us to trust, teach us to go the long haul with you. As we enter rest, as we pass through death, as we come to that moment, help us to be able to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we'd be a people that trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and trust you to direct our paths. I pray today for you, church. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Let's give the Lord thanks for what he's done here today. two things as you go. Our prayer team is going to be down front. If you need prayer about anything, we would love to agree with you and get kids signed up for the Desperation Conference. If you want to chip in on scholarships, go for it. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. Much love.